Welcome to Stuff to Blow Your Mind, a production of iHeartRadio. Hey, welcome to Weird House Cinema. This is Rob Lamb. And this is Joe McCormick. And today, it's all Time Cops. It's not the movie Time Cop. It's another (laughs) Time Cop movie. Uh, This is one where, you know, there are different ways you get into a piece of B cinema. Sometimes you watch a trailer and it really grabs you. Sometimes you you just hear the pitch and and it it gets the hooks in. But for me, this movie, Trancers 2, The Return of Jack Death, it lured me in with (laughs) One of the best B movie posters I've ever seen. Uh, th- this uh, I can't remember how I first came across this. How did we get started on the Trancer train? You were talking about Trancers, and then I found this poster. I think. Yeah, a couple of things came together. I think on um, I, I got a, a preview of a, a Full Moon Entertainment streaming channel in order to watch Shockwaves, mm-hmm. and then forgot to unsubscribe, and, and you know, so I had it for a month. Uh-huh. And then we were talking about Full Moon Entertainment. And yeah. and if and the question was raised, I think by Seth, uh, are all the films in the, uh, the the Full Moon Entertainment catalog? Are they are they all essentially Evil Bong and Ginger Dead Man? And I was like, no, 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 no. There, you know, there's some early stuff. I think there's some good stuff in there. Maybe the Transfer movies. I haven't seen them yet. And then the next thing I knew, I had a, a, a bout of insomnia, so I uh, fired up Transfers One and started watching it. Okay, that's right. So you were talking about Trancers 1, and you were pitching me on the concept, which which sounded quite enticing. Uh, sort of similar. It sounded like a cross between Time Cop and uh, there's a series of video games. I've never played one, but uh, the games are called Assassin's Creed, and the premise <laughs> of them is that you don't physically in your body go back in time but you can like send your mind back in time to inhabit the body of one of your ancestors is that right i think that's how it works yeah Yeah. I'm, i'm not really versed in those games either Okay, and so that's the that's one of the basic uh, plot mechanics of Trancers, right? That it has a it has a drug based time travel mechanism where you can send your brain or at least your your consciousness back into the body of one of your long dead relatives. Correct. Yeah, roughly speaking, if we're going to lean into what's going on, uh, there there are seemingly two methods of time travel in the film. There's the genetic ancestral drug technique to move consciousness, and a physical time travel technique with severe limitations. So there is a continuation or survival of consciousness in these films akin to reincarnation, as well as a consciousness-based model of time. And it would seem <laughs> to indicate that time is largely an illusion created by consciousness and can be manipulated through pharmacology and manipulated to such a degree that then physical time travel is possible as well. That's right. Trancers 2 gets deep. This is. Um, <laughs> I remember when I first signed up for Netflix many, many years ago, it was interesting because like you would tell it what movies you liked and then it would start suggesting its own like Netflix curated thematic subgenres for you. Mm-hmm. And I remember one of the little uh, categories it curated for me based on the movies that I had liked previously was mind bending thrillers. <laughs> and so I think this is technically a mind bending thriller. Yes, Um it, it, it bends the mind. It, a little sure. bit, yeah. <laughs> it bends it in multiple directions. Uh, but but I got to come back to this poster. So you were telling me about Trancers, and then I looked up the poster, uh, but ended up seeing the poster for Trancers 2, The Return of Jack Death. And this thing is beautiful. It belongs in the Uffizia. It's, um, so it's got a 
painting of the main guy in the movie, but I was not familiar with this guy. I guess his name is Jack Death. That's D-E-T-H. Right, like Mega Death, not like mm-hmm. uh, the actual word death. And then the painting, he looks like Elaine's boss from Seinfeld. You know, the guy mm-hmm. with the like very smooth, slick, uh, slick back white hair and the dark eyebrows. And he's looking uh, kind of like Sam the Eagle, looking kind of stern and handsome with a strong jawline. But he's got a long coat on it's almost like you know he he's like a flasher creep but inside the coat it's not his body it's like a galaxy full of stars <laughs> and then there are a couple people standing with him uh two women each holding guns one of them is helen hunt kind of smiling mm-hmm. in a mild way holding a shotgun and wearing the mom jeansiest mom jeans that were, <laughs> have ever been created Oh, and they're also like standing on the surface of Mars, which doesn't correlate to anything that happens in the movie. Right. (laughs) Do you know why in this poster Jack Death has a galaxy inside his coat? Well, I mean, there's nothing in the film to indicate why this would be. But Mm -hmm. I I guess if we lean into it, he's a you know, he's from the future. So he is a he has a sci fi nature to him. And if you can. I don't know. You're bending time and space. Uh, That's about as much as I can come up with. (laughs) Okay. So I guess one thing we should acknowledge is that this is yet another episode where we're covering a sequel without having covered the original film. And I think, Rob, you're going to sort of do recap duty for us uh, to tell us about the first Trancers movie. Uh, but but we do not apologize for doing this. In fact, I think some of my favorite episodes of Weird House Cinema have been where we covered a sequel without covering the original. I don't know why that often works out so well. Something about it is kind of liberating, but I feel like uh, it, it's something we're going to keep doing and we maybe even need like a, a dedicated word for like the sequelosity episodes. Or, or <laughs> Yeah, because um, I, th- I think one of the, the reasons that it works is that when you're dealing with sequels, especially sequels of, of this caliber, you know, and sequels of genre films, um, there are at least one of two things are likely to be happening here. So on, on one level, a sequel is a chance to move beyond the establishing setting and origin stories and get into the meat of a, of a new, fresh story, uh, provided, however, that you don't have to then reset heaven and earth to make a sequel work. So I would say that a great example of this is Blade Two where uh, Guillermo del Toro did not have to deal with any of like, the origin story of, of Blade for the most part and just got to get into, uh, just run right into a new adventure uh, with only minor resetting. It's kind of like getting to start a movie in the second act. Yeah. Uh, probably, I, I love this film, obviously, but a bad example of this would be Highlander 2, where <laughs> everything was wrapped up in Highlander 1. So in order to do a sequel, uh-huh. they really had to reset heaven and earth and inject a whole bunch of new material. There, Yeah, there are a lot of sequels that have to essentially undo the previous film in some way in order to exist. And on certain occasions, that can be a kind of like bold and gutsy and admirable move. Uh, this is a widely hated movie, but one one that does this in a way that I think could have been great is Alien 3. Yeah, mm-hmm. Alien 3, I mean, I guess I'm not going to spoil anything for a movie that's been out this long. Alien 3 begins by killing most of the characters that survived Aliens. Yeah. And, uh, and beloved just, characters. Too. Yeah, beloved characters that all die right at the beginning, actually off screen. It's just like mm-hmm. it happens in between the films. And a lot of people like this, but something about me always kind of appreciated, like, this could be the setup to a real powerful gut punch of a, of a third Alien movie. Unfortunately, Alien 3 is... It's one of those movies that is 
it's hard to say it's bad because I think it's essentially an unfinished film. We we don't we didn't ever get to see what Alien Three would have been. Um, yeah, so, it has so many great you know aspects to it. I mean, it has a wonderful oh yeah. cast: Pete Postlewaite, Charles S. Dutton. Yeah, it's, it's got an amazing cast. Mm-hmm. And, Charles Dance uh, as a oh mostly likable human being, which uh, or at least a more relatable human being than he tends to play. I don't I don't remember all the the, the wrinkles in his character, but he wasn't a complete bastard, as I recall. <laughs> Charles Dance is just wonderful. Yeah, it, is, it has a great cast, has a, in a way a strong setup. It's just, yeah, like I said, it's basically an unfinished film that was nevertheless released and, and kind of really suffers for that. It's sort of held together by duct tape and paper clips. Uh, but, but, but that was all a tangent uh, to say there are some cases where it feels like it can be really strong. Most of the time when your sequel has to undo the previous film, it's just really irritating. How do you feel about... Uh, Halloween one, Halloween two, because Halloween one ends with like Donald Pleasance is like, finally, we have we have killed him. And then uh-huh. Halloween two begins with, oh, wait, my bad. I'm sorry. I missed him. Or he's not dead. <laughs> you know, I mean, Halloween two is not the worst slasher movie and not the worst slasher sequel. Like it's a pretty competently executed uh, slasher horror movie, but yeah, it's it's totally unnecessary, and it's quite clear that it was just a, just kind of a cash grab. It's like uh, mm-hmm. the first movie was really successful; we got to do another one. I mean, I don't think it doesn't feel it, like Carpenter didn't even direct it. I think he co-wrote the screenplay, if I'm not mistaken, but um, I could be wrong about that. But it, wh- whoever was all the creative forces behind it, it it is a competently made horror movie, but their heart wasn't really in it. Yeah. So, yeah, the next thing about sequels is definitely the rehash and redo uh, area of sequel making. In in its worst case, you have a like direct to video cash in that is intentionally just completely um, uh, lacking of the originality of the first film. Mm -hmm. But you also see this other this this reverse. And that's when you have particularly a lower budget or an indie picture that does really well. And then the sequel is a chance to uh, essentially redo it, hopefully with improvements to the budget, cast, script, etc. I think prime examples of this would be Evil Dead 2 and Phantasm 2, both of which benefited from larger budgets and are both kinds of sequels slash remakes. I know fans are torn on uh, some of the issues regarding these and mm-hmm. you know, there, there are arguments about like what's better, Phantasm 1 or Phantasm 2. But undeniably, these are cases where the filmmakers got to go back and spend a lot more money, maybe with a lot more, um, um, you know, uh, caveats attached to how they use that money. Uh, but still, uh, th- they got to explore the same dream with more cash. I don't know if the same is true of Phantasm 2 because I haven't seen it. But certainly with Evil Dead 2, there's a big difference, not just in uh, in budget, not just in the resources they had to work with, but in the tone of the movie. Whereas the first Evil Dead movie is like a is like a dark, straight, gross horror movie. The second one is a comedy, essentially. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. So you get to tweak the tone even in, in cases. And then sometimes it can, it, can, it can have great results. But now how does this apply to Trancers? Because if I'm not mistaken, I think the first one actually got a theatrical release. And this one, I don't know, but it feels extremely straight to video. Yes, this one was straight to video, uh, unlike the previous one. I, I couldn't find any information about the actual budget for Trancers 2. Um, so this one maybe cost as much, maybe cost more, but I doubt it. I think it cost less. Um, 
it, it certainly made at least one key upgrade, and that's in villain casting, which we'll get to in a bit. But Ooh. they largely rehashed the plot of the first one, except with additional complications and additional characters. Uh, but I feel like they brought almost everybody back. So, uh, you know, it's kind of like a, a, a cast reunion to a certain extent. Okay, well, so if you're about to re recap the first movie for us, the, the first thing I've got to know is it's called Transfers to the Return of Jack Death. Where did he return from? Did he return from the future to the past or from the past to the future? No, he doesn't return from anywhere. <laughs> he returns to your your uh, your your TV screen. Basically, yeah, okay, that's, that's the only I thing thought. he returns to. <laughs> because the, there's talk of him returning to the future, but he does not return to the future. Right. He doesn't return to the future until Trancers Three. So it just literally could have been called Trancers Two. Jack Death is in another movie. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> All right. So previously on Trancers. Okay, so Angel City of the 23rd century, it has a lot of problems. Most of Los Angeles is underwater and a psychic mastermind known as Whistler, who uses his psychic powers to turn other humans into trancers, zombie-like thralls. Uh, you know, these are, these are psychically controlled sleeper agents who can be triggered into a monstrous rampage. But luckily, you have some trancer hunters on the case, and there's none more... Uh, um, you know, excellent at uh, at um, at singeing trancers than old Jack Death. Jack Death is sort of the Harley Stone of trancers. Yeah, so he's a pro at taking them out, pro at singeing those trancers. Uh, meanwhile, the police actually have Whistler's body. They have the the super bad guy's body, but they don't have his mind because. Whistler, we find out, has used the time travel drug to send his consciousness back in time to 1985, where his consciousness now inhabits his ancestor's body. Uh, and his ancestor in 1985 is a police detective. So complications. Uh oh. Now, while in the past, uh, Whistler hasn't just been hiding. He's been hunting down and murdering the ancestors of his key enemies in the future, members of the ruling council of Angel City. So he's, you know, he's basically running a Terminator game on his enemies here. So Jack Death has been hired by the one remaining uh, member of the ruling council to follow Whistler, quote, down the line, down the timeline um, by using the time travel drug. And uh, Jack Death's consciousness emerges in his own 1985 ancestor's body, a reporter in, La in 1985 Los Angeles. Uh, but before he goes, he shoots Whistler's... Um, future body, his comatose body dead before he goes. So he's kind of like, I'll go get him, but I'm not bringing him back alive. He's not coming back to this body. Okay. Too dangerous to live. All right. Okay. So where does Helen Hunt come in? She's kind of, okay. Once okay. in the past, he meets up with this punk girl named Lena, and that is Helen Hunt. Okay. Um, and so she's, she's, she's in it. She's going to help him. She, you know, she gets a, uh, her eyes are open to the, the time shenanigans going on. So she's, uh, she's right there with him to help him uh, fight the battle. Uh, they fall in love, et cetera, mm -hmm. you know, as, as one would expect. Mm -hmm. And they hunt down the drunken, homeless, former pro baseball player, Hap Ashby, who is the 1985 ancestor of the future ruler who is in jeopardy. So uh, in this quest, death is aided by some high-tech equipment that is also sent back through time and space to him, presumably via a different time travel method. So once you've had your consciousness zipped back, they can send you a small box, like the size of a mm -hmm. cigar box, that has a few uh, uh, you know, special tools that you can use. 
does this include the watch that allows you to stop time for 10 seconds? Yes, this includes a, the watch that gives you a long second. If you push a button, the long second is yeah, just pausing time for a second and letting you do some bullet time stuff. Um, that but sounds he incredibly also, useful. <laughs> yeah. But he also has um, two doses of a serum that he can use. Uh, if the serum is injected into uh, somebody who is um, a consciousness from the future occupying a body, then it will kick that consciousness out and send it back to the future. So these two doses, one is to allow Jack Death to return to the future uh, for his consciousness to leave his ancestor's body. The other dose is to send um, Whistler out of his ancestor's body. But since Whistler is dead in the future, his he'll just go into oblivion. Okay. All right. So he defeats Whistler, uh, but he faces a problem. Only one of the two consciousness-booting doses survive the battle. He can only inject one of them. He can kill Whistler in the past uh, and, uh, and use the one dose to return himself, but that means killing the body uh, that Whistler inhabits, which is an innocent man with a family. So instead, he ejects Whistler's consciousness into oblivion, thus sparing Whistler's ancestor, okay. and remains behind in 1985 to marry Lena, played by Helen Hunt, and live in the 20th century. Happily ever after with Helen Happily Hunt ever after. in the 1980s in Southern yeah. California. Wow. Perfectly serviceable movie, uh, but I, I I think in and in some and in some ways a better movie, but ultimately I think Transfers Two is more fun. I'm going to guess that Transfers Two is significantly funnier than the first movie. Um, I, yes, it definitely leans into the comedy a little bit more without getting into like full blown. Um, Yuck, you know, um, yuck a minute mode that you kind of see in the later full uh, full moon pictures uh, releases. Mm-hmm. And we'll get into some of that in a, in a bit here. Um, but Trancers 1 did have a few laughs. And I'll, I'll, I'll mention one or two of them as we go. Okay, so that's the previous movie. Uh, what's the elevator pitch on the second movie? Is- Jack Death is back, baby. <laughs> Jack Death all over again. Yeah. Uh, I was trying to think, okay, I've got an alt pitch on the second movie, which is that due to unforeseen trancers, Jack Death realizes that, ooh, he had another wife in the future that he forgot to tell Helen Hunt about, and now she's back in the past. And and so now he's faced with a dilemma. Must he choose between them, or can he marry both women? Let's hear that trailer audio. My name's Jack Death. I'm a trancer hunter from the 21st century. It's been seven years since I went down the line to old California. Life's been good. I thought I'd singe my last transfer, but nothing lasts forever. Transfers 2, the return of Jack Death. Jack, the 20th century must be getting to you. You have no idea. I actually haven't listened to this, but I imagine there's a really good in-a-world narrator in it. Uh, yeah, the, the trailer, I actually don't advise watching the trailer in full because the one that, the official one that's uh, uploaded by Full Moon mm-hmm. is like three minutes long and is basically a summary of the entire film. It shows you <laughs> okay. everything. And, I, you know, it's like, not that spoilers are going to ruin your enjoyment of Transfers 2, but, uh, you know, I think it's, it's worth going into fresh. Oh, wait a minute. Then, then should people not listen to this episode before they watch? 
oh no, they can do that. That's fine. Oh, right. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, I think everybody who's, who's been listening to Weird Al Cinema, you know the deal. We're gonna, you know, we're gonna talk loosely about the movie. We're gonna talk about the people in it, and then we'll get more into the plot. So if you need to jump out halfway through, you know where to jump out at. Um, you know, if you need to go watch the movie uh, and you want, you don't want any spoilers. Otherwise, we're gonna spoil pretty much everything. Well, I I greatly enjoyed Transfers too, but I would not say a lot was hanging on the outcome of the plot for me. <laughs> yeah, it it's pretty predictable. You know what's going to happen. All right. So who made this thing? Well, Charles Band, of course. Um, he's the director. Uh, he has an original story credit on this. Uh, born 1951. We've discussed his bio before, but but briefly. He's the man behind Empire International Pictures and then Full Moon Features, and he directed some some really awesome 80s and 90s sci-fi and horror films, you know, lower budget fare for sure, before going increasingly in the evil bong, ginger dead man direction. Mm-hmm. Um, this is, I believe, our third Charles Band production, uh, but our first film that he actually directed. What were the other two? Was, what, was, he was a producer on Robot Jocks, right? Robot Jocks and Arena. Two absolutely glorious films. And I think there's a Robot Jocks tie-in later on here. Yeah, yeah. So he has 68 directorial credits, and I'd say most, uh, if not all of it from recent decades, is certainly of the evil bong sort. Mm -hmm. But this movie is from the era in which Band was still making films that that seemed to aim to be more genre action entertainment without just being, you know, abject uh, horror comedy and and so forth. Uh, I'm talking Mm -hmm. stuff like 1982's Parasite, which starred Demi Moore. Um, Metal Storm, the destruction of Jared Sin from 1983, which uh, which I really enjoyed. That's a that's a fun sort of otherworldly post-apocalyptic mashup thing. Uh, 1992's Doctor Mordred, which is kind of a Doctor Strange uh, picture bef- before we had a Doctor Strange picture. Okay. And these films were were not critical hits by any means. Um, I, I assume they made money of some sort um, since things kept going. Uh, but, you know, many of them developed a following. And as a producer, Band played a, a role in bringing a lot of weird schlock to the screen. And I think, like, ultimately as a producer is where he has the most endearing value. Uh, you know, there's a, there's a lot of fun stuff going on in the, the Empire uh, uh, Pictures days as well as the early Full Moon days. And, and even though the evil bong stuff is not for me, uh, I recognize that that too seems to have its following, so fair enough. Yeah, I think we're on the same page here. It it, like uh, I, I love a good funny B horror movie, but ones that lean too hard on that intentionally that try to be too funny uh, at a certain point, they kind of step over the line of intentionality and they, the, 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 the silver loses its luster. Yeah. Or it, or it certainly becomes harder to achieve, you know, perfection. Uh, you know, yeah. I can, I can think of some horror comedies that are really good mm-hmm. uh, and we'll probably mention one in a bit that I'm rather fond of, but uh, yeah, I feel like it's just harder and harder to do. Uh, whereas the, the sweet spot is trying to, it's trying and maybe not fully succeeding in making a serious horror or sci-fi film. So one of the most hilarious things of our entire transfers journey last night, Rachel and I watched Trancers to the return of Jack death, but also ended up researching other Trancers movies uh, throughout mm-hmm. the evening. So of course you had Trancers in 1984 and then uh, you had Trancers to the return of Jack death. This was 1991, which as we've talked about on the show before, 1991 is maybe the most eighties year that ever 
happened. Um, <laughs> but it doesn't stop there. You've got Trancers 3, Death Lives in 1992. Trancers 4, Jack of Swords in 94. Trancers 5, Sudden Death, D-E-T-H again, in 94. And then Trancers 6. And Trancers 6 uh, does not have a subtitle. It really should have. Uh, I, I think they should have kept going with the play on the word death. So it could have been Trancers 6, Death by Misadventure. I don't know. There's a lot of stuff you could do. <laughs> yeah, I haven't seen Trancers 3 yet, but I want to. I actually have it queued up uh, mm-hmm. because I think I'm I'm on board for that one. Um, I'm less thrilled about the idea of Trancers 4 and 5 because I understand those are, are kind of notoriously bad ones. One was, I think, filmed in an East European castle, and some of the people involved in that one were paid in money that couldn't leave the country, if I read correctly. <laughs> and the other is a Western. So oh, we have like God. medieval Trancers, uh, Old West Trancers, and then Trancer 6 is, um, is, doesn't even have Jack Death in it. Well, it's so. got an Old Western. So this is like going in the same arc as the Tremors sequels. Tremors and Trancers are kind of running parallel. Yeah, I mean, they couldn't really do Trancers in space because it's already... Sort of, well, I don't know. Maybe they could do Trancers in space. Anyway. That would explain the, the galaxy inside his coat. That would. Maybe they go into space in three. I don't know. Like I say, I haven't seen three yet. One thing I was really surprised by, Trancers 4 and 5, which are the ones you're saying are notoriously awful, were both apparently directed by David Nutter, who does yeah. tons of high-profile TV work, including directing many Game of Thrones episodes that are some of the most memorable ones. I think he did the Red Wedding episode, and he did a bunch of uh, X-Files episodes that are like really well-remembered. I think he directed Clyde Bruckman's Final Repose. Yeah, he's a trusted hand in, mm-hmm. uh, in, 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 in TV and, uh, and presumably film direction as well. But I mean, yeah, you, these, these productions like Game of Thrones are essentially film productions. Charles Band or whoever owns this now, if you're looking for some amateur filmmakers to make Trancers 7, Death by Misadventure, I think, hey, we're your people. Get in touch. Now, the writers on this one, uh, I should point out that Danny Bilson and Paul DeMio wrote the first one. These are also the guys who wrote Arena. Uh, We mentioned them briefly in that episode of Weird House Cinema. Uh, Danny Bilson went on to write screenplays for The Rocketeer and The Five Bloods, which uh, came out uh, in what, just last year, I think, mm-hmm. uh, and, uh, and I, th- I think was, uh, was pretty acclaimed. That's a, a Spike Lee film. Mm-hmm. Um, and then the writers on this picture, uh, the screenwriter is accredited as Jackson Burr. Uh, not a lot of information on him, but he was active from 1989 through 1994, did a number of screenplays for Full Moon and some other B-movies. Most notably, uh, he did the screenplay for the Full Moon feature, Subspecies. All right, I think we got to get into the cast because we've said yep. the phrase Jack Death probably 35 times already. Uh, who plays Jack Death? Well, this is a glorious chuck roast of a man named Tim Thomerson. Yes, Tim Thomerson, who I think it's safe to say is a B-movie icon of sorts. Um, he's, he's, he's still very much around, still active, born 1946. Uh I was looking him up because I hadn't really researched him before this. I just knew that he was in some full moon pictures and, you know, that was kind of uh, that, that as far as I knew, that was where he emerged from. But uh, he actually started out as a stand up comic and was oh, quite yeah. successful at it in the late 70s and uh, very early 80s. I mean, he was showing up on late night talk shows and so forth. Yeah, you, you shared a bit that you found on YouTube. I mean, a lot of 70s and 80s stand-up comedy, I feel like it's like there's the really good stuff, and that's really good, and then almost everything else is just dreck. Yeah. Uh, and, I mean, I can't say that the video you shared was amazing, but it, uh, maybe it was a little bit better than dreck. <laughs> 
Yeah, yeah, I'm 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 just ready for the worst when I look at pretty much any stand-up comedy, uh, but especially stand-up comedy from 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 years past. And for the most part, it seems like he had um kind of a zany 70s guy kind of vibe. He had a big bushy mustache and mm-hmm. did some sort of like um some like post stoner kind of humor, yeah, uh, kind of a watered down Robin Williams vibe as well. Like imagine a toned down Robin Williams who lifts. Yeah, I would say uh, surfer guy Robin Williams who does a lot of mouth sound effects and occasionally uses props. Yeah, so uh, ends up he has kind of a zany uh, entertainment origin, uh, especially when you compare it to stuff like his role as Jack Death, who certainly has some comedic corners to it. And you see some of that comedic energy bleed through in his performance here. But for the most part, it's kind of a a noir-esque, hardened detective kind of a role, you know? And he has the the face for it. He's, you know, ruggedly handsome kind of guy. Oh, exactly. I I chose my Chuck Roast phrase very carefully Mm -hmm. because I think that sort of community, he's very ruggedly handsome, classically meaty noir guy but with an extra little twist of absurdity <laughs> i was kind of surprised though like he has this very um you know, i don't know like he he has a, like blondish whitish hair in this and he has yeah. this very like very rugged features and i i looked it up to just see how old he was when they filmed this mm-hmm. transfers too and he's 45 so he's he's just three years older in this film than I am right wow. now. So uh, and he was, but he was thirty eight in the first transfers, and in that I would have assumed that he was like in his late forties. So yeah, I think he was he had a very cured uh, look about him. Yeah, he he has a face that speaks of much tobacco and beach. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yes, they're very very sun dried. Uh, so his career trajectory again stand up comedy, but then he was doing a lot of TV work, popping mm-hmm. up on stuff like Laverne and Shirley. Um, and then he did a little film in 1983 called Metal Storm, the, direct, the Destruction of Jared Sin. Oh. That was directed by Charles Band. And so the following year, he did the first Trancers film. Okay. Well, you've mentioned this a couple of times now, and I hear the elation in your voice. So maybe maybe I got to watch Metal Storm. Uh, yeah, I, I need to watch it again. But I remember it okay. being fun. All right. But yeah, but the thing is, once you're once you go to band camp, uh, <laughs> you're in band camp. <laughs> okay. uh, so yeah, so he did Trancers and then the other Trancers films, uh, with the exception of the sixth one. He also starred as Dollman in the Dollman films. He played this character Brick Bardo, who's like it's like a miniaturized human uh, gimmick. I haven't actually seen any of those, hmm. but. They were apparently successful enough in the the full moon universe to do stuff like Dollman versus Demonic Toys. Um, oh, don't they have a? They've got different franchises that are all about killer toys. They've got Puppet Master, Demonic mm-hmm. Toys, Dollman. Am I missing some others? Do they have well, some like, killer GI Joes? I think technically, when you get into like the Ginger Dead Man stuff, like Ginger oh. Dead Man is like a small gingerbread cookie that that kills people. Consistency. <laughs> uh, but he was he was also in some other stuff. He was in Zone Troopers, Nemesis, Iron Eagle, Cherry mm-hmm. 2000, which is a good one. Uh, he's also in Near Dark, the uh, excellent vampire film from uh, Catherine Bigelow with Lance Henriksen in it and, uh, and Bill Paxton, among oh, yeah. others. Yeah, that's one of the best vampire movies ever. I think he plays a dad in that. I, I don't really remember um, Tim Thomerson in it. Yeah, the main character's dad, maybe. Yeah. yeah. Uh, so Rachel and I were discussing a theory last night that 
Tim Thomerson edits Wikipedia because <laughs> we were drilling into the wikis for like the to see what was going on with the Deep Trancer sequels uh, after we finished the movie, and I we came across some hilarious unsourced claims like on the wiki for Trancer Six, which by the way it doesn't have a subtitle, but the 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 tagline on the poster is same attitude, different sex. <laughs> so I think it's that Jack Death this time comes back and inhabits the body of an ancestor who was female. Yes, in fact. I could be wrong, but it might be his own daughter. I'm not sure. What? Yeah. How would that make sense? It would still be In his future of. Okay. It would still be his. Uh, don't, yeah. Don't try. Don't try <laughs> okay. and make the time yeah. travel in these movies work. It'll just. It'll just hurt your brain. Stop. Okay. But anyway, you get to the reception section of the wiki for Transfer Six. It has one sentence in it. The reception section reads. Reception for the film has been overall negative, mainly due to the lack of Tim Thomerson. <laughs> and I thought about that scene in The Simpsons where where Homer's reading the list of suggestions to Roger Meyer. And he's like, whenever Poochie's not on screen, all the other characters should be asking, where's Poochie? <laughs> yeah, where's Thomerson? Yeah. yeah. Um, he, he is the, the center of this, the, these pictures. It's hard to imagine one without him. Oh, but we got to get to the real star power here. We got a couple of, of stars in the sky of Transfers 2. One is Richard Lynch. The other is Helen Hunt. This is yes. the Academy Award winning actress. That's right. The Helen Hunt, uh, born 1963, very much active today, plays Lena Death in this because she's married to Jack Death at <laughs> right. this point. Yeah. Um, now, now, don't worry, Helen Hunt, Hunt fans. This was several years before her award-winning role in As Good As It Gets. Uh, her career hadn't quite taken off yet. Uh, for, at the time of Transfers 2, she had just done additional voices on Captain Planet. Um, and afterwards, she was in a really weird supernatural western with Bruce Dern called Into the Badlands, which I, I remember being good. I saw it when I was a kid, but I remember liking that. But mm-hmm. uh, yeah, she hadn't, hadn't quite taken off yet. She'd, even, she'd come back for Transfers 3 in 1992. Uh-huh. But shortly after that, I think she had moved beyond the orbit of Full Moon and uh, was on to bigger and brighter things. So Helen Hunt in this movie plays Jack Death's wife in the past – who is going to come into conflict when his wife from the future comes back to the past. Right. Uh, And Helen Hunt is an exceptionally good actress, and this is in many ways an exceptionally poorly written role, (laughs) which is always a really enjoyable collision of forces when you have like a a great actor saying ridiculous lines. Mm -hmm. And some of my favorite parts of this movie were the scenes where Helen Hunt is just rattling off paragraph long lines about the mechanics of time travel and uh, complaining about the fact that he has another wife that she didn't know about. Mm hmm. So that's one of the real chef kiss things in this movie. And and it's also different because she's a very down-to-earth good actor. Unlike – there are other actors, like, who could be really great but also were in lots of B-movies delivering ridiculous lines. Like, you know, I think Donald Pleasance. But somehow Donald Pleasance, I think, fits more into the B-movie world when he's in it. Mm-hmm. Uh, here it's just somebody who's clearly got, like, more screen presence than, than this movie demands – doing these lines that are absolutely absurd, but, but doing them, you know, d- doing the job. Yep. <laughs> but also, oh my God, her costuming in this movie. I guess it was part of the fashion in 1991 to have these like really high-waisted loose jeans, but her mom jeans in this movie are just extraordinary. They, they explore 
previously un- unknown reaches of mom jeansiness. They're almost kind of like the MC Hammer pants, but jeans. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, and uh, like like you said, she has some uh, she has some real acting challenges in this this film that she's you know to- totally has the chops for. But she's put in she's put in particularly she's put in some really challenging scenes with the very green actor Megan Ward uh, in this. It's in some uh, some uh, some Bechdel flunking dialogue, yeah. uh, where it's just all about Jack Death. It's just two female characters talking exclusively about the male character, and you know Helen Hunt clearly has the screen presence and this talent. And Megan Ward is just not there yet. That is funny. Almost any time. Well, it is like Poochie. Everybody should be saying, where's Poochie? Because in this movie, if Jack Death is not on screen, basically the other characters on screen are talking about where's Jack Death? (laughs) Who's going to get to marry Jack Death? Now, now speaking of Megan Ward, uh, she she plays Alice Stilwell, uh, who is Jack Death's first wife from the future. Mm -hmm. Um, Born 1969, um, she, uh, she, uh, she was an Encino man. She's done a lot of TV work, including some work on General Hospital. Um, so she's not in the first trancers. And I'll give her the benefit of, a, of the doubt and assume that she grew as a performer after this. But, yeah, she's green as grass in Trancers 2 and has no help from the dialogue you yeah. know, either. So it's, I, I can't place all the blame on, on her by any means. But the result is she kind of ends up dragging down every scene she's in, except, except her scene with a character named Rabbit, which we'll get to in a bit. Yeah, she she gets through her lines, but she's pretty consistently uh, kind of low energy, like not uh, yeah. not really amped up to the absurdity level that the that the rest of like the uh, older actors were going for. She would have worked great in the humanoid. Like she has the like oh, okay. she has humanoid yes. level energy. But the thing is, in this, everybody else has 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 much higher levels of energy or intensity. Yeah. And speaking of intensity, the legend. In fact, we're we, the, this this actor has real legends about him that I wasn't even aware of before we started uh, researching for this. It's time to talk about Richard Lynch, our villain for the film. Yes, Richard Lynch plays Dr. Wardo, um, who uh, the nature of this character is kind of confusing. We'll get into that in a bit. Mm-hmm. But but Lynch was born in 1940, died in 2012, uh, a true B-movie legend with that, and, and was a huge upgrade for the Transfers franchise here uh, because the, the chief villain, Whistler, in the first film was played by this guy, Michael Stefani, who was was fine. I mean, I'm not saying Stefani was bad, but mm-hmm. he he didn't have the smoldering intensity of, of Richard Lynch. Uh, now, uh, Lynch had a really signature look. You know, he had the you know, look up a picture of him if you don't remember him. Uh, bright blonde hair, sharp nose, the uh, scarred face, and uh, I, I never knew the like, the history on his uh, on the, the the scars that he had. In, in fact, I'd say a lot of the films I've seen him in, the picture quality is not really good enough to pick up on it all that much. You know, right? When you're watching like a like a YouTube rip of a Czech dub of Scanner Cop Three, you you don't really pick out the, the the fine detail of his face as well. Right. But but something that's mentioned in the, the obits include, for him, including the New York Times obit for Richard Lynch, is that um, according to Lynch, he suffered scarring in 1967 after he set himself on fire while under the influence of LSD in New York Central Park. This is one of those stories that I didn't know until yesterday. And I was like, how have I never read this before? Yeah, yeah, it seems like the kind of thing I would have picked up on it. Sure enough, if you uh, if, if you look it up on YouTube, you can find a scene from the documentary um, LSD Trip to Nowhere, and I think it's a it no, it's Trip to Where 
LSD trip to where question mark um, a documentary from 1968 and it's just some rough interview footage of uh, a young Richard Lynch whose um, you know injuries are far more apparent in this early footage uh, I don't know if he's you know still hasn't healed up from reconstructive surgery or, or what the exact details are but he's talking about this experience and it's a it's a rough rough watch so he he was a, appearing in basically an anti LSD scare film. Yes, uh, but but anyway, it's, it goes beyond Lynch's looks, though, because he was a solid actor who brought just real menace to his many many villainous roles over the decades. There, you know, there are a lot of character actors who had you know odd looks to them, you know, and have you know particular features of their appearance that mm-hmm. lend well to uh, uh, you know to horror and sci fi, but. But and some of them don't clearly don't have like the acting chops to back it up. I think Lynch is one of those guys that clearly did have the acting chops. Yeah, I agree. You know, one thing that's interesting is that I noticed later touches of this in his in his adult roles, but it's less there. It's more there in that early interview from the 60s when he's young is that he has that kind of classic transatlantic accent. Mm-hmm. He sounds a little bit like William F. Buckley when he talks. Yeah. So his credits include such films as God Told Me To, the uh, the excellent, weird Larry Cohen film in which he plays uh, an alien, hermaphroditic, uh, Christ-like being that has come to New York City. He's in uh, The Seven Ups, uh, which is uh, you know, not a genre piece. It's just uh, like a crime movie. He was in The Ninth Configuration. Uh, he was in The Sword and the Sorcerer and The Barbarians. So he, he definitely got into the, uh, into the, you know, the medieval fantasy type uh, epics, you know, mm-hmm. generally playing some sort of evil sorcerer. He was in Scanner Cop. Oh, yeah. He was in Necronomicon Book of the Dead, and he's one of many uh, B-movie and uh, genre icons who Rob Zombie brought into some of his films. Uh, So you'll find him especially in The Lords of Salem. Uh, I would say he also is in the B-movie Hall of Fame for his participation in Warwolf. Yeah. Oh, yeah, yeah, that's right. He's he's in that. He's Noel, yeah. Now, you know, actually, now that I mention it, I can't recall if he actually got to complete his scenes for Lords of Salem. He might have been... uh, uh, that might have been towards the end of his life. It's possible that uh, that he's not in that at all. He may have uh. just been a, originally part of the cast now that I think about it. But I think he was in Rob Zombie's Halloween movie. That sounds right. Yeah, he also showed up on Star Trek The Next Generation, Murder, She Wrote, and Six Feet Under. So yeah, Richard Lynch was in a lot of things. He was in a lot of B movies, played a lot of, 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 uh, of bad guys, and mm. was just really good at it. Did he ever play a good guy? I can't recall that ever happening. I've never seen a movie where he wasn't a villain. I don't know. I mean, he had to have at some point, but yeah. I mean, and I think he could have done it. I mean, especially as he got older, you know, he could, yeah. I could see him leaning into, to, you know, cause you see uh, out of character photographs of him and he's just, you know, he's just this older dude with, uh, you know, with white hair at that point. And, uh, but then again, if you're hiring Richard Lynch, right. you, you, you want the intensity, right? Like try to imagine this movie with Richard Lynch as, as Jack death and uh, <laughs> Tim Thomerson as the, as the villain it doesn't quite work, does it? No, and then also the films of this caliber—they're often painting in, um, in in very you know strict colors. You know, mm-hmm. you, you want your villain streak, you want your hero streak. Uh, you, you're not necessarily looking for a really complex palette. So a lot of Richard Lynch's screen time in Trancers Two is actually 
on screen on screen. He'll be yeah. on a TV screen, uh, like indoctrinating people, indoctrinating his trancer army with weird mantras. Or there's a great part later in the movie. It was one of my favorite parts, actually, where he's on a TV show being given a softball interview by Barbara Crampton. Yeah, yeah. Another B-movie uh, name of, of note, uh, noted for Reanimator, From Beyond, uh, Your Next, Beyond the Gates, and uh, Lords of Salem as well. But but that's some, that's some that's some some great scenes. Yeah, in this movie he plays uh, a psychic madman cult leader. So there's plenty of, um, of of Lynchian depth there for him to get into. Oh, don't forget environmental terrorist. Yes, they had to throw that in as well. He's many things to many people in this movie, uh, and it's also funny how it made me think about how. I'm not quite sure what this – I wonder if there was like some event in the news that really put this in people's brains. But I really think in the early 1990s, there were a lot of movies about uh, where the villains were eco-terrorists. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think it was yeah, kind of a maybe a safe place to go in some yeah. ways, but but also perhaps revealed some anxieties about – uh, you know, environmental movements and the you know the ramifications of or perceived ramifications of environmental movements. Yeah. Uh, so you do see it a lot. Weird. All right, there are other humans in this movie though. We should get to them. Oh yeah. Uh, we have Biff Maynard, or perhaps Biff Mannard. <laughs> he sometimes, uh, his name is apparently misspelled as Maynard. Uh, but anyway, he plays Hap Ashby. This actor was born 1943, died 2014. He's reprising his role from the first film uh, as as the the one remaining ancestor of the future leader who is a washed-up professional baseball player. Okay, yes, and he has to be kept alive or else the future politician will not exist. Yeah, Okay. He's um it, I wouldn't say he's a great actor, but he's a he's a decent enough actor and he has given some wonky lines and reactions in this movie that uh-huh. are fabulous. So he's a, he's a treat. Oh yeah, he's great. And you know, his his name sort of reads like a sentence somehow. It's like Biff Menard. It, I don't know, it it works. Uh and he he spends most of the movie getting back on the sauce gradually. Yes. Uh, we also, oh, you know, we were talking about in um, The Humanoid how, oh, we have a Bond girl in this one. Well, mm. move over, Humanoid, because we don't just have a Bond girl in this one. We have a double Bond girl. Oh, that's right. Uh, Martine Beswick, right? That's right. She plays Nurse Trotter. It's just a, you know, sort of a secondary villain role. Mm-hmm. Uh, but she was born 1941, still still around as of this recording. She was in From Russia With Love in 1963 and Thunderball in 1965. I was actually co- so she and uh, Jeffrey Combs, another B movie icon. Mm-hmm. Man, this this cast list is gigantic. Uh, they are sort of a, a team in this movie. They, they don't do much like physical attacking. I mean, I guess they do a little bit, but mostly what they do is sit side by side and kind of give the main characters the side eye, like look at them <laughs> uh, almost as if to give them withering looks and issue like a self-esteem annihilating, uh, deprecating comment about them. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, so I wouldn't say either. I mean, she 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 definitely gets to bust out some side eye. Jeffrey Combs, who again, another B, B movie icon, the reanimator himself, um, he doesn't have a lot to do in this. He's just basically sits around with a goatee, yeah. uh, kind of asks um, uh, Lynch's character what he should do, you know, follows orders and also confers with uh, the nurse here. Yeah, his his goatee and his shady 
uh, glare do most of the acting. All right, I'm gonna I'm gonna largely skip over the McNulty's here, but basically you have an old McNulty and a girl McNulty. Old mm-hmm. McNulty is played by this uh, actor Art Lafleur, born 1943. Uh, you may have seen him. He played the the Babe in the Sandlot. He was in the Blob. He was in Cobra. He was in Field of Dreams. He was even in a Key and Peele sketch. Huh. Uh, he's got slight notes of Buddy Hackett. Right. Yeah. And then uh, Alison Croft plays Girl McNulty. We'll get into the distinction here. She was born in 1975, went on to appear on Mad Men and Shameless. I feel like this is the biggest cast list we have ever plowed through in a movie. I, don't, I mean, it's like there's something interesting about all of them. Or in uh-huh. the case of the next guy, he's just such a delight on screen. Uh, talking about Sonny Carl Davis playing Rabbit. Tell me about Rabbit. All right. Uh, I couldn't find anything about when he was born, uh, but I think he's still around. Uh, Davis has been in a bunch of films, including a bit part in Fast Times at Ridgemont High. But the first place I saw him was in the excellent 1986 horror comedy Terror Vision, in which he plays kind of a creepy satellite TV repair guy. I'm trying to. Oh, I think I know who he was in Fast Times at Ridgemont High. He's the guy who gets Judge Reinhold fired from his job by complaining about his. He didn't like his food at the restaurant. You remember this? <laughs> I don't. He's right. like, um, I think I just want my money back. Yeah, it's it's him. It's a memorable awesome. performance because Sonny Carl Davis has he sticks in you. <laughs> he was also in Thelma and Louise, and I think he had a. a part in the burbs but in this he plays rabbit a deranged orderly at the sort of mental institution we'll get into that uh, in a bit but he has some cheesy comedic lines that he manages to bring to, to life delightfully and the character rabbit would apparently go on to be a staple of the evil bong franchise and related <laughs> full moon pictures uh, i'm not sure how they brought him back or you know if it's just basically little cameos but uh, essentially he's played rabbit nine times I get the feeling that what Dick Miller is to the Roger Corman universe, Sonny Carl Davis is to the Full Moon universe. Yeah, <laughs> but he's great in this. Uh, oh, yeah. I ended up really loving Rabbit. Yeah, I love Rabbit, too. One of the many surprises of the film, this this fissile, balding man with eyelids that open like eight meters wide is also apparently the heartthrob of the hospital staff. Mm-hmm. Like all the ladies are gaga for Rabbit. Yeah. Doesn't make a lot of sense, but okay. All right, let's see. Real quick, um, we should mention uh, Telma Hopkins. She plays Commander Reigns in the future. She's reprising her role from Trancers 1. Uh, she was part of Tony Orlando and Dawn, uh, that, uh, that musical act. But she also did a fair amount of TV and film work. She was on Family Matters. And I, realized, I was trying to think, where did I recognize her from? But she plays Aunt Rachel on Family Matters. Oh, okay. Uh, but she, yeah, so she's like the commander of the future cops. In the future, uh, in, in, there are a couple of scenes in this, I guess the bookends of the film, that are in the future. And she's sort of like recapping what's going on, explaining the plot, and, and giving people orders. And there's, there's a very funny scene at the very beginning where she's telling a dyspeptic Art Lafleur that he must go back into the past, and he complains mightily. <laughs> yeah also remember her character is one of jack death's exes uh, so oh, yes. everything everything revolves around jack death right yes when when jack death is not on screen everyone's asking where is jack death <laughs> all right real quick i'll mention the music uh, phil davies and mark Ryder did it um they also did the scores for society and a few other films and i think Ryder ended up working a bit more on his own for transfers, I'll say it, you know, it's a decent score. It's invisible most of the time. You don't really think about it. But there were other parts of it that I kind of dug. You know, it's electronic, a bit sappy at times, but effective. I think Wardo's theme, so when, when there's sort of like sinister stuff going on in the asylum, mm-hmm. that's where I would notice the music and be like, all right, this is all 
all right. I can dig this. Uh, yeah, I don't think I really noticed the music, except I noticed it a little bit right at the beginning. Because So maybe we should get into the plot breakdown. Are you ready? Let's do it. We open on Jack Death and Helen Hunt. Uh, I accidentally just called her Helen Haunt. Cruising in his Ooh. classic. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> cruising in his classic Corvette. And by the way, uh, Jack Death loves his Corvette. This is very much a, a point to note in the film. Yes. And uh, and we get some, some moody, kind of sad music playing. And this was one of the only points where I really noticed the score. Like I said, uh, there's the dreamy electronic music. The Death's hair is blowing in the wind. And then we get narration. And Jack Death tells us in voiceover, during the last six years, I spent a lot of time wandering this part of the California coast. It's tough knowing it's all going to be under the ocean after the killer quakes of 2063. My name is Jack Death. I'm a cop from the future. Trancer detail. And I didn't know it yet, but back up the line, my old supervisor McNulty was on his way to see me. McNulty's a professional pain in the ass, but the council has stuck with him because, like me, he had an ancestor in old California. That's the only way to send someone's consciousness back in time over the genetic bridge. I hadn't learned about the TCL chamber yet. And then I guess it's really just starting to get very detailed for, for mm-hmm. voiceover narration. But I stopped because I was thinking this must present a very bizarre pattern of sort of discrimination in hiring of time cops in the future, right? Like you have to submit your family tree in details to see if they can find a relative of yours in old California. Yeah, it's um, they don't go into it a lot, but like, like clearly the transfer. I, I mean, I guess the transfers thing is it was isolated in time at one point, but then the trans, the, the then the, the transfers are moving around in time. Whistler and Whistler's brother are moving around in time, so mm-hmm. that means the time that means that your transfer cops have to become time cops, mm-hmm. and yeah, there you go. So anyway. Uh, we get this opening scene I was talking about where Commander Reigns, Telma Hopkins, is uh, is explaining to McNulty how all the time travel stuff works. And this scene, um, I got to be honest and say I had to watch this twice. I did not follow the scene at all the first time. I was like, what is going on? I guess you had a leg up because you'd seen the first movie. Right. Um, but if you haven't, this one just kind of rolls over you. It's like a, It's like a wave. But basically, it's it's the stuff we've already talked about. Your consciousness, if you take a drug, your consciousness can go back in time to an ancestor. It seems mostly you can't travel back in time physically, at least not your whole body. But now there is a machine called the TCL chamber that looks like a crappy version of the Apollo command module. Mm-hmm. And you can send that back in time empty, though nobody nobody can go in it. And then people can get in it in the past – physically in their bodies and go forward in time to the future. Got it? Yeah. And if, if you don't get it, I just advise you to watch the movies because okay. it's, <laughs> it's, they do a little better job explaining it, I guess, or at least presenting it visually. So Telma Hopkins is explaining that they need to send McNulty's uh, consciousness back in time to possess the body of his ancestor, who at this point is a 15-year-old girl in California in 1991, to, I think, tell Jack Death about the TCL chamber that will allow him to get into it and travel back to the future. Is that right? That's right. Yeah. Uh, In the last film, McNulty had to go back in time to do the same thing. And in that one, it was like, you know, an eight to to 10 year old girl that Uh he had to inhabit, which was one of the funnier part, the legitimately funnier parts of Trancers 1, where there's a little girl showing up and she's talking like a, uh, like, you know, like a, like a, like a tough, rough and tumble, um, you know, um, 
uh, police commander from the future. Is she smoking a cigar? Uh, no, she's not smoking a cigar, but okay. she's almost, almost smoking a cigar. Well, in this movie, McNulty's ancestor smokes a cigar, which I mm-hmm. think is is played for comedy. Yeah. I think partially on the basis of some, of some uh, gendered assumptions, but also, I mean, I guess it is funny to see any like 15-year-old chomping on a cigar. Yeah. All right. So then Commander Reigns explains more of the plot. Again, I did not understand any of this the first time. I had to go back. But uh, so they've sent someone else back in time to the body of an ancestor. And this other person is Jack Death's wife in the future, Alice, who we learn is dead in the future. I can't I don't know if this was established in the first movie, but she has been murdered in the future. It's weird when we when we actually discuss it like this. This sounds like the most complicated movie plot of all no. time. <laughs> yeah, I know. I was trying to think like it actually is super complicated. It just doesn't really feel like that in the movie because all this stuff you just like you kind of don't catch it and it doesn't mm-hmm. matter. And then you just keep watching. Yeah. But so she's dead in the future, but she wasn't dead a few years ago in the future. So they sent somebody back in time, but still to the future, just a few years before in the future, before she died, to tell her that she has to go farther back in time to 1991 so she can, uh, I believe, hunt trancers there. Right. (laughs) And, oh my God, there's so many funny exchanges in this scene where it just gets amazingly complicated mcnulty's like i thought we killed whistler and all the trancers in the past and then reigns is like but there's a new whistler in the past and now he's made new trancers in the past yeah and i I, like i didn't even realize whistler was was, i I thought there was just the one whistler so Uh i I never figured out if, if richard lynch's character in this is truly like Whistler's brother? Is it Whistler himself? His consciousness somehow escaped? They're kind of all over the place, briefly explaining who he is supposed to be. I, okay. But, I think I know the answer. Okay. I think the answer is that Richard Lynch is playing Whistler's brother, playing okay. a guy named Eduardo Whistler, who is the brother. I think the guy in the first movie is named James Whistler. Is that right? Um. Possibly. Um, I feel like I looked that up and I was I also was confused when I started looking up his name in the first film. Uh, But I think I think, yes, I think you're correct. This is supposed to be Whistler's brother. This is, um, you know, I guess they all both both siblings had the psychic gift of creating transfers. Uh Because there's a scene later on where Helen Hunt and Jack Death are figuring it out in a very Dr. Acula type moment. Mm -hmm. Uh, They're like, oh, this Richard Lynch is is his name is E.D. Wardo. Wait a minute. You know, uh, Whistler had a brother named Eduardo Whistler. It's him. You know, E.D. Wardo. Huh? Get it? Yeah. All right. Good enough for me. Okay. But I was thinking about Dr. Wardo throughout this movie as Dr. Wario. (laughs) Okay. Now we get a bunch more plot mechanics. There's so much explaining at the beginning of this. So they say, okay, Jack Death, he can't come back to the future the normal serum way because his old body in the future is now, they call it calcified, which I guess would mean it's like all made of bone now, I guess. Like he, he, Mm -hmm. he just can't come back. His body's bad. Yeah, it looks bad. They show it on a slab and it's just all, all gross looking. Yeah. So he can only come back to the future in the TCL chamber, in that lunar module thing, or not lunar, the command module thing. Uh, they're sending that back for him. Otherwise, he'll be stuck in the past forever. And then we get introduced to this James Bond gadget we mentioned earlier, the long second watch, which slows time for like 10 seconds. So you can go into bullet time, basically. Mm-hmm. 
Oh, and then the, there's a funny part where McNulty is like, hey, Reigns, aren't you and Jack Death? You know, you were formerly in love, but you split up. Why would you want him back? <laughs> and I don't know. The implication there is that, like, if you, if you discovered your ex was stuck in the past, you just leave them stuck in the past. But she's like, look, I can't leave him stuck in the past just because we have a history. We have to think about the future of the future. And uh, oh, and they find out that Jack Death is going to get a seat on the council, which is very important somehow, but it's not really explained. I don't think. No, the, the later someone says it's like becoming a king of the universe. So uh, I guess it's really important. I don't know. Jack Death doesn't come off as like a really terrible person, but I don't know if he come. He seems like the best choice for a king of the universe. I mean, he's anti-establishment for the most part. You know, yeah. he's kind of a rogue cop. He doesn't need to be mayor of the city. Right. Exactly. Uh, but one thing I noted when we were first watching this is that the exposition scene here at the beginning just sounds like a transcript of the pitch meeting. It's just somebody <laughs> describing the like basically the concept of the movie. Uh, but then there was also a really funny part here. I took a screen grab for you to look at where wh- while she's explaining everything to him, uh, a technician in a lab coat comes up and just starts trying to undress McNulty, like reaches over to his coat and McNulty is very irritated. <laughs> But anyway, okay, so the action starts when we go back to the past, to 1991, where Jack Death and Helen Hunt are driving around, and they drive up to Hap's house. Remember, Hap is the guy who he originally had to go back in time to protect because he's the ancestor of a future politician. And here I started noticing one of my one of my favorite types of awkward cinematography, which is regular dialogue scenes where there's nothing particularly intense going on, where the camera is way too close to the actors. Uh, (laughs) So like, you know, a standard way of shooting dialogue between two characters today is uh, alternating cuts between what are usually called over the shoulder shots. So you shoot from roughly, you know, over the shoulder of where the other person in the conversation would be. You know, there are other choices you can make. You know, it's an open art form. But uh, a lot of times this movie will be cutting back and forth between people talking, and it's cutting between what is basically just extreme close-ups of people's faces while they're talking, and the effect is very funny. Uh, I could screen cap many examples, but I just included one here for just Helen Hunt talking. I think she's talking about wanting to go house hunting, and it's like right up in her pores. (laughs) Yeah, it's one thing if it's Richard Lynch, because Richard Lynch is generally saying intense villain stuff and staring into your soul when they're doing these close-ups. But this is a scene where they're just talking about sort of side character stuff about how she really wants to settle down and get a house and he doesn't feel ready. Yeah, and then it cuts back to him and he's he's being kind of being a jerk about, I don't want to spend a day with some pencil-neck real estate agent going house hunting, (laughs) but we're right up in his pores too and they're just a mile wide and it's, (laughs) wow, it's, it's amazing. Another thing, so they get to Hap's house. Hap lives in this mansion, which is this hideous property where he's restoring an antique fire truck. And I was wondering, is this something from the first movie? Was was Hap in in Trancers 1 a a fire truck enthusiast? Hap in the first movie was a a former pro baseball player that is now – homeless, uh, you know, Mm -hmm. in his, uh, you know, suffering from, from alcoholism. And so in this, they've sobered him, sobered him up. And I, 
don't remember it being explained why, but he's set up in this ugly mansion that's decorated like like, like something a, a stereotypical divorced middle-aged dad would dream up where, uh, you know, you're restoring a fire truck and, and every, all the decoration inside the house is like fire trucks and baseball yes. memorabilia yeah. and there's a big old bar in the center of everything. Maximum baseball. It's, it's like the, you know, the concept of a man cave, but it's this yep, entire man mansion. A yeah. better description. Yeah, it's, it's full man cave mansion and it's just ridiculous he's got 36 dart boards yeah yeah so i don't know where hap got this money but they're living with hap uh Uh like kind of like looking after him as parents i think so yeah yeah which is especially funny Uh, we'll get back to that in just a second but uh there's there was also a funny exchange so they're like why did why did jack death come back to hap's house what are they doing here i thought they were supposed to be on vacation or a honeymoon or something um, but he's like, Hap, I had to come back because I had a funny feeling. And then Hap <laughs> goes, no, no, not trancers again, Jack. And then it cuts to not dialogue in the scene, but voiceover of Jack Death saying, I'd been having a strange feeling, the feeling I get when there are trancers around. <laughs> <laughs> Just to make it clear. Uh, but then anyway, uh, Lena, Helen Hunt's character, announces that she has to get Hap to bed. Why does Lena have to make Hap go to bed? It's like he's a child and they're babysitting him just permanently. I mean, he looks like he's um, in his late 50s or early 60s here. Yeah. And yet they they refer to this a couple of times in the movie that they are still kind of grooming this guy to eventually procreate, to produce the offspring that the world depends on. Like the ancestor that ends up being the ruler of the future (laughs) apparently has not been produced yet by this um, by this uh, this specimen of a man here. Uh, So I'm not really sure how that's going to work out. Yeah. But I think they could have done a, an interesting sitcom with them essentially raising Hap. You uh-huh. know, um, you know, I don't know, Meet the Deaths, uh, Death Family Matters. I don't know. Very good. Yes. I would watch that sitcom. But this is the life they've created for them. But that life is about to be turned upside down by trancers. Right. Oh, wait. If it was the sitcom, Richard Lynch would become the Urkel of it. He'd be like the nerdy next door neighbor who keeps showing up. And he's like, look, I've figured out how to create trancers. Oh, man, it would be the most intense, did I do that ever? Yes. Richard Lynch staring like straight into your bones. Did I do that? Uh, but then we cut to the next morning, and there's several things going on at the same time. One of them, I guess, is uh, a, a conversation between Helen Hunt and, and Jack Death about house hunting. We sort of mentioned that already. But also, there's just an immediate transfer attack. A landscaping company shows up. Uh, the camera lingers ominously on a guy with a shovel who's working in the yard. So it's like, wow, I wonder what's going to happen. You, you think he's going to be a transfer? And then uh, Hap goes out to be like, hey, you know, uh, good, good job digging on the lawn. And, and the guy immediately, like his face wargs out and he gets these gross forked lightning veins coming down his cheeks. And also mm-hmm. there's just random dirt on his forehead and some kind of dark liquid dripping out of his eyes. Yeah, they, at this point, a transfer has been triggered out of their like sleeper cell mode. Yeah. And they're just full on uh, maniacal attack mode. And then one of the interesting things is if the trancer is then killed, 
uh, with like a laser gun or in the first film or in this, you know, just shot with normal uh, munitions. Once they hit the ground, they will uh, disintegrate and leave like a smoking outline of their body on the ground. Yeah, they, they turn into red lasers and disintegrate. Yeah, yeah, and it's, to- it's totally unexplained why. I, why would this happen? I guess it has to do maybe, I don't know, the psychic powers are somehow linked. They create the transfers are linked to this idea of consciousness and time and uh, I don't know. But anyway, so this is going on. The transfer attack happens while Jack Death and Lena are talking about wanting – well, Helen Hunt wants to buy a house and Jack Death is being a jerk about it because he does not want to spend time touring homes. He's just, no, I don't want to. Yeah, a lot of man-child elements in this movie. Yes, and then they're talking about it. I guess they sort of make up and they're talking about their future and they're kissing and then Jack Death suddenly perks up his – Spidey senses are going and he's like, trancers. <laughs> and so the landscaper trancer and his crew are trying to kill Hap, but Jack Death hilariously, it's like he's riding in on a horse to save the day, but instead he drives up on them in a golf cart, steering with one hand and shooting with the other. And this was <laughs> maybe my biggest laugh out loud moment of the movie. Very, very strong. It's very, very great. And played, uh, like a lot of stuff in this film, most of the things in this film, played seriously. Yes, which makes it work much better. Yeah. So Jack Death defeats the Trancers, and it's like, oh, I thought we dealt with all the Trancers. I wonder if there's a new Whistler in the past. Uh, but immediately, McNulty arrives in, in in his ancestor's body on a bicycle, and uh, he there's a bunch more exposition. Explains all this stuff about time travel. Basically, rehashes a lot of what we learned earlier. Explains about the TCL chamber. Uh, they end up setting up a tent in the yard to hide the time machine when it arrives from the future. Mm-hmm. I love it. Very very cheap move on the production. Uh, I like it. I'm not sure exactly what the quality was. It's something about her line delivery, but Rachel and I kept noticing that the actress who plays McNulty's ancestor, who who is good, like she's funny in this, she has very all Garfield energy. I'm referring to uh, an actress from a sketch in I Think You Should Leave. It's the 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 sketch with the uh, intervention for, for Tim Robinson that's in the Garfield house, you know, where she's saying mm-hmm. like, yeah, but it's a total party house. <laughs> yeah, I had to look this back up, but that's a fun that's a fun sketch. Yeah. The actor I think you're referring to is uh, Kate Berlant. Yeah. Who uh she's, she's born great. In, she was born in eighty seven, so she's actually younger than Trancers One. Wow. She's very funny in that sketch, by the way. We we quote it all the time. You kind of quote we, we were for the rest of the movie we were kind of like pointing all around and you know, like she says, all Garfield as she points it out to her friends. It's like all <laughs> trancers. Uh but anyway, so we get a transition to this whole other plot. And this whole other plot is unknown to Jack Death and Lena. Jack Death's wife from the future, Alice Stillwell, is also still in the past in the body of her ancestor. But she's trapped in this place run by Richard Lynch's people. It's this evil cult pseudo-psychiatric hospital that is operated yeah. by New Whistler's goons. Yeah, and actually the, the plot element here is kind of fun. Uh, I thought I thought this was pretty creative, is that since you you just kind of you know quantum leap back in time to your ancestor in the the time period you're going to well mm-hmm. she was sent back to 85 but as it turns out her ancestor was um in an uh, in a mental institution at the time mm-hmm. so she instantly uh was was trapped in the institution and uh and i imagine it was i guess exasperated by her claiming or acting like she wasn't herself, and then she wasn't able to get to her special watch with the long second so she's just been lost this whole time 
Yeah, so it's a it's a major bummer. Uh, and then we meet we meet several characters here. Uh, so she's trapped in there. We meet Rabbit. Uh, any, <laughs> anything else we need to say about Rabbit? No, I mean you know Rabbit at this point. Also, we meet uh, the the villains, Martine Beswick and and uh, what's his name, Jeffrey Combs. They're just mm-hmm. sitting around, sort of uh, uh, looking judgmentally at everyone. Uh, now, obviously, this is not a real psychiatric hospital providing care to its patients. It is basically a transfer factory that is being run by Richard Lynch, and they're playing TVs of him creepy talking at the patients all night long. You know, yeah. We 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 come to learn that basically his scheme here. In the first film, we learned that you can't make a transfer out of like a strong-willed person. Right. Uh, in order for uh, Whistler or Whistler's brother to use their psychic power to turn you into this this zombie-like thrall, you have to you have to be kind of. Uh, you know, you know, of a weakened state mentally. And so this whole operation, this transfer factory or transfer farm is about weakening people uh, like mentally uh, with pharmaceuticals, we find out later, uh, so that then he can easily control them and easily manipulate them and create like a transfer army. Yeah, exactly. Uh, so Alice stages an escape from this facility while the orderly rabbit is busy having a midnight rendezvous with another orderly who I guess is his girlfriend. They're like hanging out to uh, to drink uh, vodka mixed with orange soda. Yeah. It just looks pretty gross. Uh, I don't know. Maybe that's a drink some people have. I don't know. It, it was – <laughs> I mean, I guess it depends on the orange soda. Maybe you got a nice orange soda. Oh, yeah, I guess so. They're I don't know. Things. It, it looked like one of those, like, really neon, you know, the, the traffic cone orange soda. The perfect cocktail for drinking on the job in a broom mm-hmm. closet at an unlicensed <laughs> mental institution run by a cult leader. Right. So they're planning, I guess, to drink on the job and, and do no good. Uh, but they get interrupted by Alice's breakout. And then the, uh, everybody gives chase. Uh, she, uh, and then Alice eventually... She escapes, I think, actually multiple times, but at some point she discovers the time machine, the TCL chamber. It's in a barn somewhere, uh, mm-hmm. but then she is captured and taken back to Whistler House. Uh, and then we cut back to our, our main characters, Jack Death, McNulty, or McNulty in, in his ancestor's body, Helen Hunt. Uh, they're all hanging around in this tent they've put up on the yard where they're supposed to receive the time machine. Uh, but there's a problem because it doesn't actually show up. They just get the door of it. So they, they obviously need to connect with Alice because she knows where the rest of the time machine is. Mm-hmm. And so they're standing around and then there's also just tons of, this movie has a lot of scenes of characters explaining to each other things that the audience already knows from previous <laughs> explaining scenes. Yes. Uh, but one of the funny things is in this scene, you get to see the characters react. So McNulty explains to Jack death and Helen hunt that his wife is back here in the present and the an incredulous Helen Hunt is like, you have a wife? I thought she was dead. And he's like, no, honey, I can explain. She's dead in the future, but now she's alive in the past, which again was very funny. Um, but they, yeah, they need her help to figure out where the time machine is. So they're trying to, to look into that. Meanwhile, Jack Death goes to investigate the landscaping company who sent trancers to Hap's house. And uh, at first they deny knowing anything. They're like, no, I don't know. I think somebody stole our truck. That must have been them, not us. Uh, So we meet this red-haired burly guy with a beard and then a forklift operator named Ramon who has an awesome outfit. He has like this striped sort of like – uh, what do you call it? The two third length sleeve T shirt with stripes and it's tucked into his pants with a belt and he's got cool boots. Um, and so I, I loved Ramon and his outfit and I really wanted him to stick around, but alas, like most other characters you meet turns out to be a trancer. 
Yeah. I'd say one of the the big flaws in these films, uh, and that doesn't really take away from enjoyment, is that trancers are not really scary. They look kind of no. look kind of dumb. Uh, agreed. But the, so the trancers attack him. There's a great forklift fight scene where they like pin him to a bunch of two by fours with a forklift, mm-hmm. but he uses his long second watch to sort of get around behind them and, and defeat the trancers. Yep. Yep. Got to work in uh, use of the gadget. Uh, but eventually, after all this, they, they find out that the Transfer, the evil transfer factory hospital and the landscaping company, I think, are actually all run by the same organization, which is Richard Lynch's organization, which is Green World, a, a sadistic environmentalist transfer cult. And Helen Hunt does online research on her computer. Again, this is 1991, so I don't know about this, but she's on her computer reading articles to discover that the director of the bad organization, the the Green World, is one E.D. Wardo. And this is where they do the Dr. Acula moment, where they put everything together. Um, but also she's describing the organization Green World, and she's like, they sell organic cookies, that kind of thing. <laughs> yeah, and yeah, the, the more we learn about Wardo's operation, it's 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 I ended up enjoying this this quite a bit. Yeah. Having a nice cult leader madman situation and that VHS tape that they keep playing where he's like using this to mind warp the thralls. It's it's actually it's really good. It has this uh this loop to it where he's saying things like you belong in a green world. Oh yeah yeah yeah. And he, when he gets interviewed by Barbara Crampton on TV later, it's hilarious because he's saying these things that are just obviously evil, but she's like, Oh, that's nice. He's like, you know, we bring people to our facility and we cleanse them. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Those, those, those scenes with the, the, uh, there are two of them uh, from that interview. Those are some of my, I think my favorite parts of the film. And I think there's, if if there are any DJs out there and you want some cool cryptic samples to put into your mix, look to this film and look to those scenes where um, Wardo is talking uh, uh, to the TV host, because there's, there's some fun stuff in there. There's also a getting ready to fight montage, not montage. I don't know what you call it. Like the the scene in the movie where like the hero suits up. Often they'll like mm-hmm. put on their gun belt or something. But in this movie, it's not putting on the gun belt. It's uh, it's Jack Death slicking his hair back. Yep, that's one of his signature moves. They 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 uh, they have that in the first film too, where the fir- one of the first things he does when he inhabits his ancestor's body is to find a nice uh, like tin of pomade and start greasing back. He's a dapper Dan man. He is. Uh, so Jack Death eventually, a bunch of stuff happens. Jack Death eventually ends up rescuing his other wife from the future, from the Green World facility. Uh, it's kind of funny. He, like, rescues her while she's on, like, a gurney, and he, like, just loads the whole thing into his Corvette while she's still attached to it. Um, and then uh, he unstraps her later after, like, they escape from the bad guys. But then there's this hilarious dialogue when they talk things through. It's like, are you who I think you are? Are you who I think you are? Stillwell, Alice B. And then he goes, welcome to old California, Alice. I'm your husband, Jack Death. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. Oh, it's so stupid. It's kind of sweet. It is. It's again, it's, it's such a man boy movie in so many ways, but, but it's too dumb and good hearted to really offend. Yeah. Well, a bunch of the middle section of the movie is concerned with basically two subplots. One is the time wives subplot, which is this marriage conflict because Helen Hunt, it seems, is not a fan of the fact that Jack Death now has two wives at the same time. And Jack Death's reaction to the situation is just this kind of 
I don't know, he's kind of furrowing his eyebrows, inexpressibly frustrated, and but at the same time kind of passive with this like, what am I supposed to do kind of attitude. <laughs> um, and the, his future wife keeps kissing him, and he's clearly into it, and Helen Hunt doesn't like this. I think it seems clear that Jack Death would like, if he could, to marry both women. Yeah, I don't know. I was I was trying to think deep and hard about this. And like maybe it's, you know, it's kind of like Jack Death is unstuck in time, you know, like yeah. he's, you know, it's not so much as like, she was my wife and you are my wife now. It's like you were both my wives and different. I don't know. Yeah. Once you start traveling around in time, get screwy. There is a really great scene. This is one of the funny ones where Helen Hunt is like forced to deliver absolutely absurd dialogue. There's a long one here where she has a scene with Jack Death and she's saying, I've had to handle a lot being married to someone from the future, Jack, but two wives. <laughs> and uh, eventually there's also a confrontation between them where Alice from the future is telling Helen Hunt that, you know, basically she needs to step aside. Uh, and she's like, he needs me to defeat Wardo. I'm a trancer hunter. All you bring to the party is stuff for Jack to worry about. And so eventually Helen Hunt leaves. She's had enough of this time wives confusion. And as she's about to leave, Alice says to her, I'm sorry, Lena, but you should have known better than to get involved with a man from the future. <laughs> Again, though, Helen Hunt is, is great in these scenes. Oh, yeah. <laughs> she's, yeah. she's believable yes. in, uh, in, in these scenes with all of this ridiculous dialogue. She, I mean, she, she is a really good actress and she, she sells it in a great way. She does not do a great job, I think, of convincingly portraying being in love with Jack Death. <laughs> well, yeah, maybe not. Maybe not yeah. that. Uh, but, but everything else. I don't know. It's a tall order there. Mm hmm. But then, okay, so then there's another thing, which is that Hap, uh, they keep talking about how he's getting back on, quote, the sauce. And so he, he begins drinking again. And as a result of drinking, he gets, he gets baseball-itis. Like, he, he becomes obsessed with playing baseball. And so mm -hmm. he starts, uh, like, he buys a bunch of liquor for a bunch of homeless guys and starts playing baseball with them. And they have to go find him and retrieve him. Yeah. Yeah, it's... Uh it's ridiculous, but uh, kind of funny at times. I don't know. Uh, hard to decide where I stand on it, but uh, uh, but they go for it. So one of the best parts of the movie, as we mentioned, is when e when E.D. Wardo goes on the Sadie Brady show with Barbara Crampton. And it's like this talk show where she's giving these – I don't know. Well, if, so many funny things about it. Number one, they're sitting in rolling office chairs with like mm -hmm. you know the casters on the bottom. Uh, another thing is that – Richard, so she asks questions like, what do you say to allegations that, you know, Green World is kidnapping people and turning them into mindless zombies? And he's like, many people have had their lives destroyed by pollution. In our detox centers, we cleanse and purify these individuals. We give them a new mission in life so they can help us cleanse and purify the planet. Yeah, sounds legit, right? Yeah. <laughs> Uh, but so that's on TV, and at some point, Jack Death is watching that at the house, and then it cuts away from the Sadie Brady show to show a trailer for Robot Jocks, <laughs> except it's a movie called Crash and Burn. Yeah, I believe this is this is a follow-up to Robot Jocks that was directed by Charles Band, uh -huh. um, came out in 1990, so he... he it's not just a subtle trailer. It's like a straight up, here's the trailer. Uh, I think we we mentioned this one in passing when we talked about Robot Jocks because this is the sequel that has Bill Mosley in it. Oh, okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. 
Now, I think from here on out, I, I think maybe our, our summary should become a little more cursory because so as not to spoil everything. But they mm-hmm. they they realize, of course, that Richard Lynch is uh, growing drugs from the future in his greenhouse, and these drugs are called Scurb seventy eight. I don't know how you spell <laughs> Scurb. I tried S K E R B. What do you think? Sounds good to me. These are the drugs he uses to make his trancer army. And eventually, uh, Helen Hunt, of course, is kidnapped by Richard Lynch and taken to Green World for, let's say, in the parlance of Halloween 3, final processing. (laughs) And they have to stage a rescue mission. Everybody gets there to bust out Helen Hunt. Oh, and they also end up escaping with Rabbit, who takes their side, but who is tragically killed in the getaway. And when Rabbit died, I think I cried out. I was like, no, you can't do that to Rabbit. I mean, on one level, we know he's going to be back in the full moon universe. But I also right. like to think that that in the future, they will realize that Rabbit made the ultimate sacrifice uh, to save them. And so Rabbit will there'll be just massive statues of Rabbit uh, smiling uh, maniacally. Yeah. But this is all leading to the, the final battle, of course, the final showdown. Right. They end up in the barn that is housing the time machine that can send the physical body back to the future uh, because because Alice from the future knew where that was. There's a big shootout final scene there. Uh, there there's in, in a kind of fun way. I, I don't think this final battle is all that great, except that mm-hmm. low tech saves the day. Yeah. Uh, like they end up sort of defeating the trancers with like a tractor and a pitchfork and things like that. Yeah, for for a final battle between time cops and a zombie thrall creating psychic mastermind and his yeah. goons, it's uh, it's pretty straightforward. Uh, but then there's sort of time travel to the rescue at the end. They they use the Deus Ex Machina of time travel. Uh, actually, you know what? To be fair, it's not a Deus Ex Machina because it's set up by the rest of the film. It's not like mm-hmm. out of nowhere. They use the mechanics of time travel to resolve the character tension because what's it going to be? You know, Jack Death has has two wives and he kind of wants to be married to both wives. But ultimately, he decides, no, I'm only going to stay married to Helen Hunt, my wife from the from the past. And I'm going to stay here in the past. And Alice, his wife in the future, she's going to, instead of seruming back into her original body in the future and then getting murdered, she's going to travel into the future in the TCL chamber in her 1991 body so that she can't be murdered uh, in the way that she originally would have been. Though that would seem to create a paradox because if she travels oh, would back it? into the future. Yeah, yeah. Something in this film creates a paradox. <laughs> because if she travels back to the future in that body, how can that body become her ancestor? Yeah, yeah absolutely. Yes. Um, yes. <laughs> the, this is, the, the Transfers franchise, I think, is very much a paradox-free time travel system <laughs> where, yeah. again, you have – It's going to be fine. Yeah, it's, yeah. it's all going to work out. <laughs> Don't think too hard about it. In fact, I think I think he even says something to that effect at one point. He's like, "It'll work out fine." You know, if yeah. Somebody has a question about time travel. He's like, "No, it's fine. It works. It works." If you're wondering how they eat and breathe and other science facts, you know, it's it's transfers. Just relax. <laughs> All right. Well, that's transfers two. Uh, I, I myself look forward to watching transfers three. Uh, who oh. knows what it'll 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 consist of? I, I think we're going to go deep into the transfers sequels, and you know what? If they're worthy of discussion, we will discuss them. Yeah. Otherwise, maybe I'll mention it in passing. I don't know. We'll see. Um, now, uh, you may be wondering, where can I see Transers and Transers 2 for myself? Well, uh, I will say that the Full Moon Features channel is a great hookup in this department. You can su- subscribe to this on iPhone, Apple TV, Android, Roku, Xbox One, all the things. Uh, plus, it's also a channel on Prime. That's how I ended up watching it. Uh 
Full Moon is not a sponsor. I want to be clear on that. I'm just telling you how you can potentially watch the movie. Um, Transfers 2 is also highly available for digital rent or purchase, as well as on Blu-ray. And Joe, where did you watch this uh, this gem of a film? Oh, I watched this on Tubi. All right. So you can go to Tubi and watch it as well. Uh, at one point, Full Moon put out Transfers, the ultimate death collection, which was a five-disc set. That did not include Transfer 6 because I guess it wasn't out yet. Uh, but uh, one thing, say what you will about Full Moon. They get the product out there. They, they make it available. Uh, they're even like remastering stuff, I noticed. So uh, uh, Full Moon fans are in luck. Okay, if they want me on the hook for Transfer 7, I'm going to need some of the cast of Transfers 2 to return. I think Helen Hunt should come back. You yes. Know? yes. Why not? I mean, yeah, I, she doesn't need to come back at this point. But what if they, if they got a good enough screenplay together? Which could happen. Yeah. You know? Yeah. It, it could. It could work. She could even be the main trancer. We don't, I mean, I don't know what happens to her character. I, again, I haven't seen three yet or the subsequent films. Uh, but with time travel, anything is possible. You know, whatever you need in the trancer's universe can be provided by the multiple paradox free time travel systems in place. What if one of her uh, descendants becomes a villain in the future and then has to? has to serum back into her body to be a villain in the past. Sure. Wow. <laughs> Let's do it. That's, that's my pitch. If that wasn't already transfers for death and taxes. Yes. <laughs> All right. Obviously we'd love to hear from everyone out there. Did, um, uh, you know, have you seen the transfers films? Did you watch the first, any, I would love to hear from someone who saw transfers one in the theater. What was that like? Do you remember seeing these, uh, these films in your, your video rental store? Uh, what, what are some death-related titles you can imagine for sequels and TV sitcom spinoffs? Uh, we'd love for you to share all of that with us. Uh, in the meantime, if you want to check out other episodes of Weird House Cinema, you will find it every Friday in the Stuff to Blow Your Mind podcast feed. Friday is the day when we, we, you know, we, we enjoy weird movies and we, we, we uh, geek out on them excessively. Uh, the rest of the time, uh, we're a science podcast. So our core episodes of Stuff to Blow Your Mind are on Tuesday and Thursday. We have an, a short-form artifact episode on Wednesdays and Monday. That's a listener mail where we talk uh, about uh, things you've written in to us about regarding all the shows. Huge thanks, as always, to our excellent audio producer, Seth Nicholas Johnson. If you would like to get in touch with us with feedback on this episode or any other, to suggest a topic for the future, or just to say hello, you can email us at contact at stufftoblowyourmind.com. Stuff to Blow Your Mind is a production of iHeartRadio. For more podcasts from iHeartRadio, visit the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you listen to your favorite shows. 